Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 45, starting at verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, though I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hands shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, the little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained to the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Thanks, Alison. Thanks so much for reading. Um, it's wonderful to, to join you today and to encourage you with God's word. I think this is a, a hugely encouraging word for us um, with everything that's going on in the world right now. So I'm going to pray and then uh, let's look into Genesis 45 together. Father, we do thank you so much that your word um, is uh, our light in the darkness and it does encourage us because it shows us your true character shows us that you are a loving God, a God who cares for his people, a God who is powerful and uh, longs to rescue us uh, and to bring us to yourself and pray that uh, through the through your word this afternoon you would encourage us your people um, to keep going and to keep trusting in you and we pray this for your glory. Amen. Well I don't know how you found Genesis so far with the story of Joseph um, it's a slightly up and down story, and you might have noticed that for once, Joseph is not the, really the main 
player um, in this passage. Uh, actually, the, the whole story of Joseph is really a story about Jacob. Uh, if you uh, look all the way back to where we began in, um, in the story of Joseph, it's actually headlined by the fact that this is all about the generations of Jacob. It's all meant to be about him as the current patriarch of God's people. Uh, he's the chosen one. And yet, over the past few weeks, he hasn't really been mentioned. Um, he's kind of fallen into the background in the story of Joseph. Uh, jo Joseph has, you know, taken the spotlight. He's front and centre uh, stage, you might say. And there in the back somewhere is a little old Jacob, and now a very old man, uh, sitting in the darkness, wondering if God has forgotten him. And you might remember last week that we had the, the kind of excitement of Joseph and his brothers being reunited. But you've got to rem remember the whole way through that story, Jacob is in Canaan. Uh, Jacob has no idea what is really going on. And all he has is his trust in the Lord. It might feel very much like the Lord has forgotten him. And actually, maybe the Lord doesn't really care about him anymore that there was a time in his life when the Lord was very active there was a time when you know Jacob was the one who who wrestled with God the one who met with him in dreams and yet now well he's forgotten and perhaps we we feel a bit like Jacob this afternoon and we look at the, the world at the moment and we think what's really going on what what can God possibly be doing in a a current situation like this? Does he really care about little old me? And, and I think that's a, is a good question to ask because behind it, I guess, is what we really think about God and his character. Now, what kind of God do we follow? What kind of God does Christianity proclaim? I mean, maybe through all of this, uh, the, the God that Dawkins describes is the one who's really ruling that you know, capricious, malevolent bully that Dawkins describes from the Old Testament. Or maybe we, we wouldn't put it in, in kind of strong terms like that, but we would say maybe God is just apathetic. He's, he's stopped really caring about this world. And that's why we have the mess that we have now. And yeah, I think today's passage wonderfully brings us back to, to two things that we can, um, we can put our trust in. And that is God's sovereign goodness. That's our first point uh, this morning, uh, sorry, this afternoon. Trust God's sovereign goodness. Because actually, have you noticed that far from forgetting Jacob, God is ordering things here to abundantly bless him. Did you pick that up in the passage as, as we had it read? And we see through Pharaoh in verse 17, firstly. This is what Pharaoh says. Uh, this is the head honcho, the ruler of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. He says this, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. The most powerful man in the world is telling the family of Jacob to come and take the best, the kind of prime real estate in Egypt, to have the best of the land, the fat of the land. And then Joseph adds to it. So Joseph, who again is now acting as the kind of right-hand man, um, he's kind of almost like the prime minister at this point. He says this in verses 21 to 24. 
Uh, he, he sends to his father's 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father on the journey. Uh, female donkeys uh, loaded with grain doesn't sound very exciting to us in this day and age, but for them, this was meant to be, it was meant to be like a, this, this huge train of provision that would help the family survive on their journey back to Egypt. And it was more than enough for Jacob and all his people. Uh, this is the abundance of blessing uh, that God wants to bring to Jacob. And the point is we're, we're meant to see that God's character is at work behind this, uh, that he's being generous and merciful, and uh, not just to Jacob, but to the brothers, uh, to those brothers who ditched Joseph, uh, whose intention was to kill him at one point in the story. And yet instead, they are now the, the messengers of goodwill and blessing to their father. And you, you might be able to imagine the scene as, as this huge train of donkeys comes over the horizon and there's Jacob sitting outside his tent and he probably fell over at the sight of, of all that he saw before him. Or maybe he just thought he was dreaming again. This couldn't be po uh, possible. This abundance of riches and blessing. And it, throughout all of it, we're kind of waiting. That's what the story is doing. It's building up to verse 26. And this is when Jacob's sons give him the best news. They say this, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And actually in the narrative, it kind of, it says that it kind of takes his, his breath away. His heart becomes numb. It almost kills him, this news. See, through all the lavish gifts of Pharaoh, Jacob doesn't really care about them anymore. He doesn't really care about the possessions because all he wants is to embrace that son that he thought was dead. The son that for, for a long time now, he assumed he'd been killed. And yet now he's been told that he can reunite with him. And, and so this is Jacob's response. He says this. He says, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So in, in this first part of the story that we, we get to look at, what we're being, being shown here is God's goodness and generosity. Uh, God isn't capricious, far from it. He is a loving and caring father. Uh, he's someone who answers the, the prayers of Jacob uh, more abundantly than he could ever imagine. But of course, to do this, we know that God must be sovereign. He must be all powerful to bring about these events. It can't be that he's, you know, he's suffering under the, the whim of uh, Pharaoh. He's not controlled by the other powers in this world. You see, do you see that to do this, uh, God had to orchestrate this huge famine that is now going to roll across the country? Uh, because to, to reunite this son with his father, it would require the treachery of the brothers uh, and the rise to power of Joseph uh, in Egypt. So, so that Pharaoh would agree to give them safety in the land of Egypt at the very time when they needed it. Uh, because the, the biggest story is that well, Jacob's family are at risk here of being wiped out by this famine. And yet at the perfect time, God has ordained all events so that Jacob will now make a journey to Egypt to be kept safe from the famine, uh, to be at the very heart uh, of where all the, the food storage and all the provision was gonna be made. 
sort of the whole land as they suffered under seven years of famine. You see, God here can, can take what we see as global disasters and he can take individual evil and he can still use it to bless and reunite his people. See, God's sovereignty here is being displayed as, as good. His plan is to be generous uh, to us, to his people. And of course, I know that we all struggle with this idea, don't we? Uh, the idea that God is in ultimate control of all things, particularly in a world like ours. Uh, maybe we perceive that it's, it's more random chance or, or that God is in some kind of battle with, with the other forces of evil in the world. And no wonder, I guess, um, what would give us that kind of impression? Well, we look at something like Hitler's Nazi Germany or, or, or Stalin's communist Russia, uh, political scandals in you know, Ken the Kennedy-Nixon era, or, you know, George W. Bush, he says, mission accomplished uh, when there's no such thing. Perhaps it's just Trump recently uh, claiming that the coronavirus would just disappear. We see people in power, don't we? And we struggle to trust them. And there's something about us that, that wants to hold back and say, well, maybe they're not really doing things for our good. They have power, but they, they can't use it in a way that's going to really do us any good or, or bless us. I think, um, helpfully, one Christian minister put it like this. He says this, you can, you can look at God's providence through the lens of human autonomy and see a mean God moving tornadoes and influenza like chess pieces in some kind of perverse divine playtime. Now that's one view of God. He says, or you can look at, at providence through the lens of scripture, uh, through a story like uh, Joseph and Jacob, and you see a loving God counting the hairs on our heads and directing the sparrows in the sky so that we might live life unafraid. And I think that's what this story is, is designed to show us. It, sees, it shows us a God who is in control and yet his intent is that we might not be afraid, that we might be encouraged by his goodness. I mean, does it, it doesn't mean that life will be without hardship. I mean, Jacob experienced his fair share of that. It doesn't mean we get everything we want. But we can be sure that the God who controls this world is benevolent and kind and generous. And you see it because this God uses all his power, doesn't he, at this one time uh, to reunite a father with his son, a son that he thought was dead. But it doesn't stop there because the passage goes on in chapter 46. And here we come to our, our second point, because God's power is at work for a very particular purpose here as well. And that is to secure his promises. Uh, and that's what we're to do now is to, is to wait for God's secure promises because of his sovereign power and his sovereign goodness. Uh, so you, but in chapter 46, we see that Jacob begins this journey, doesn't he? So he, he's, he ends up in Beersheba, which for Jacob is a very uh, special place, a place where he's encountered God. It's the kind of marker, the end point of the promised land uh, before they leave and they enter Egypt and go down there. Now, it's meant to kind of remind us of chapter 28 when this last happened uh, to Jacob. And again, we have similar promises made 
to Jacob to reassure him at the very point when he's he's leaving the promised land, leaving the place that God had had said to him, this will be the place where you dwell and where you will be abundantly blessed. And you can see there might be some panic as he leaves Canaan. And yet this is what God says to him at that, at that very moment uh, when he might uh, be fearful, uh, when he might uh, be willing to, to distrust the Lord. He, this is what God says. He says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. See, this is God's promises restated. And you see, particularly the promise to make Jacob this great nation and that God's presence will go with him into Egypt. Uh, you can see why this, this part of the story is so important. Uh, again and again, in the line of Abraham, to leave the promised land is, is frowned, frowned upon. Uh, they're meant to stay there. And actually, anyone who does leave, it's only for a very particular purpose. And of course, we know, if you read through the Bible, that Egypt becomes that place of slavery and persecution for the people of God. And yet, again, it's stated that it's still part of God's plan. And so Jacob, who is who's now so old that he has to be carried by his sons, along with all his provisions, um, he wants to, to make that journey now. And we know that in that land, the family of Jacob will grow. But it's already been growing. That's something, again, that this narrative picks up, um, something that we might not have noticed until now, that Jacob's family has been growing again and again and again. Uh, we didn't have these uh, verses read, but verses 8 to 27, they, they're a genealogy of all the names of Jacob's family. And they're no longer just 12 brothers, but they're 70 people. And that number 70 is, is used for a particular purpose. The number 70 is the number of completion. This is meant to be God's complete people, all his chosen people. And these people will become a great nation those who will in, you know inherit the promises at the right time and so this little group of 70 is like a little uh, microcosm of god's work so far keeping his promises to his people and he is keeping his promises even as he sends jacob to egypt uh, to live in a land where his family will be persecuted a land where they will have to wait hundreds of years until God rescues them through Moses and brings them back to the promised land. It seems counterintuitive to us, but it is part of God's plan. Nothing has gone wrong here. And that's what Jacob is being told. God will keep his people and finally rescue them. And that's true for us now. That, that is the, the pattern, I guess, for God's people now. God is, is keeping us until the time is right to fully rescue us through the Lord Jesus, to bring us to the, our, our own promised land, to the, the hope of eternal life in heaven, in that new creation. And yet, um, it's difficult, isn't it, to, to grasp hold of those promises. Uh, they're intangible, aren't they? We can't see them. And yet they are true. But I think there, there is one promise that we can really see at work in the world, and that is the promise to make Jacob a great nation. And notice that that 70 grows uh, again in Egypt. 
you read the start of Exodus and there's hundreds of thousands of Israelites now, so much so that it's become a, a problem for Pharaoh. And now you look around the world and you see that that promise is being fulfilled, isn't it? From just one man, Abraham, to 12 sons, to 70 people, to now millions across the world. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. Those promises he makes to Jacob here in Genesis are true. And we see the, the blessing, the benefit of that. Millions of believers across the world from all nations and tongues. And one day we'll all gather around the, the throne of the Lord Jesus. That's, that's what Revelation says. From every kind of language and, and tongue and nation. Uh, and there'll be uh, so many people beyond anything we can, we can count. All because God is faithful to his promises. And yet we do have to wait for them, don't we? I'm sure Jacob was feeling worried about it as he as he looked ahead to our life in a foreign land and a land where he was a sojourner. He was very much someone who didn't fit in. And so he had to trust in God's character. So for, for those of us who maybe feel a bit like Jacob, we've been trusting in God for, for years and years now, but this is a difficult patch. Well, this passage invites us to, to keep trusting in him. Uh, trusting him because he's, he's all powerful. He really is in control of things, but also he is all good. Uh, he longs to, to bless us. He longs to deliver his promises fully and finally through the Lord Jesus for eternity. Uh, or maybe some of us here are still asking that question, can I really trust this kind of God? Well, I hope this story reassures you that yeah, the God of the Old Testament isn't some capricious bully, but he is a loving God, uh, a God who cares so much that he longs to reunite a father with his long lost son. I'm going to pray now um, as we come to an end. Let's pray. Father God, for many of us, I guess the, the ongoing pandemic might cause much uh, fear. It might uh, bring up, uh, bring to mind many questions um, about your character, about whether we can really trust you in these situations. But Father, we do praise you so much that the story of Joseph and particularly here, the, the story of Jacob shows us that you are God who is trustworthy and that through all your, all your power that you possess, uh, you willed it for our good uh, to bless us abundantly. And we praise you that you do that predominantly through the Lord Jesus, uh, as you forgive us our sins, as you grow your people to, to a vast number beyond, beyond anything we can count. Millions upon millions across the world. And Father, pray that all of this would help us to, to wait for those promises to be, um, to find their culmination in the new creation, uh, in that glorious uh, heavenly city that we look forward to. And before that comes, before that day, help us to, to wait for those promises to be delivered uh, and uh, to worship you and glorify you for who you are. And we pray this all through the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.